Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Father, we thank you for the privilege of studying your Word together. We invite the Holy Ghost to be our teacher and guide to enlighten us and instruct us in the way of truth. I ask you for utterance in the Holy Ghost and thank you for it. I thank you for making my tongue as a pen of a ready writer to proclaim with boldness and accuracy your holy word. We will give you all the praise, honor, and glory for everything that's achieved among us, for you are deserving of it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Hallelujah. We want to shift gears this evening, and we want to start talking to you about Jesus. That's a pretty good subject. <laughs> pretty good title, wouldn't you say? Amen. <clears throat> We're about to enter into the month of December, in case you had not noticed. I don't know where Thanksgiving went, but it did come and go, <clears throat> and it's gone. And we are very quickly and rapidly approaching Christmas and its celebration. Now, I don't know about you, but I have found this to be true in my life. If you're not careful, you can be distracted at Christmas time. You can be distracted because of all of the traditions that surround Christmas and the Christmas season. Isn't that true? I'll tell you something else. If you're really not careful, you can backslide during Christmas. <laughs> you say, where'd you get that? Well, because Christmas is so commercialized, you see, it puts a lot of pressure and stress on a lot of people. And as a result of uh, trying to keep up with everything that has to be kept up with during this time, people can get mad and back. <laughs> Just fuss and fight about things they shouldn't be fussing and fighting about. So my warning to you is don't get distracted. <laughs> and please don't backslide during Christmas. You see, very, hap very often what happens is our attention is distracted and our focus is on something else. The tradition and the commercialization of it, and really not the person of Jesus Christ. And so we want to protect ourselves from that by talking to you about Jesus and sharing with you just a few reasons why Jesus came to this earth. He came to this earth on a mission. Did you know that? You see, the Father had a reason for sending Jesus. And that reason is because he loves mankind. I think there's a scripture somewhere there in the Bible that says, For God so loved the world. You ever notice that one in there? John 3, somewhere around, well, maybe it's in between 14 to 16, maybe 16. Somewhere around there, that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, he thought about us a long time ago before we were ever born and made provision for our eternity and our destiny. And in Jesus, that is in the person of Christ, there is everything an individual needs to secure his destiny and to be cared for in this life. And so we don't want to just focus on all these other things. We want to focus on the person of Jesus Christ and why he came to this earth. And right here in this particular verse, John, or Luke 19.10, I believe we have the first and foremost reason why Jesus came. Now listen carefully. If your spiritual life is in disarray right now, you can get yourself right on track, right where you need to be, just by listening to some of the reasons why Jesus came. He didn't come so that we can play church. He didn't come to cause splits and divisions among people. He came for the right reasons, reasons that we're going to discuss. But if your life is in disarray, like I said, just listen carefully and you can get things back in spiritual order. Well, you say, what do you mean by disarray? Well, have you ever moved? Have you ever moved? How many of you have moved in your lifetime? What kind of an experience was that? Awful, huh? First of all, just going through packing all that stuff, you kind of wonder where it all came from. 
And did you ever notice that when people know you're moving, all of a sudden they have some of your stuff? And they bring all that stuff back to you? You have stuff here, stuff there, stuff everywhere. Because they know you're moving. Well, it's one thing to pack all that stuff up, but to try to get it and move it to another place. Finally, you get moved in on that moving day and you have everything inside your house and there it is. And you collapse to the floor and sit there and look all around at all these boxes of stuff. Everywhere you look, there's stuff. Everything is there, but it's not organized. I mean, just trying to get yourself a glass of water or something like that, you've got to go through 20 boxes to find a glass. Try to find a pencil in all that rubble. You know what I'm talking about? It's all there, but it's just in disarray. You know you have it, but it's just floating about somewhere or boxed up somewhere and all that. And it takes a lot, of ne- a lot of effort and time and energy to get all that stuff organized, doesn't it? And put together in the right place, on the right shelf and all that, in the right spots and everything. It's not an easy thing to do. Well, if we're not careful, our spiritual lives can be the same way, in disarray. We have all the ingredients on the inside, but they're just not in working order. Because, you see, sometimes the distractions of life cause us to get to the place where we're unorganized, spiritually. And too often, just being involved in everyday life kind of takes away from our spirituality. Unless, of course, we're on top of things and we keep things in good working order. Even when you're a born-again believer in the family of God and you even belong to a local church, you know, you can get so much involved in things that are good that you kind of take yourself away from the things that are God. You know what I mean by that? We can do a lot of good things for the Lord, but we don't want to just do good things. We want to do God things. That means things that God wants to do and not just all kinds of other things. And so let's keep that in the forefront of our mind. I want to be doing what God wants me to do on this earth. And I want to see to it that I every so often evaluate where I'm at spiritually to be certain that I'm on the right track and that I'm not unorganized spiritually. In this particular verse of Scripture, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. You know you can preach a sermon just on that Scripture alone. Uh, I'd venture to say you can preach a series on that sermon alone. Why did Jesus come? What was his purpose for coming? To seek and save that which was lost. That's why he came. Now, wait a minute. Very often when people ask you questions about life and eternity, it's because they have no focus when it comes to God's plan for mankind. Some people don't even know why they exist. As a matter of fact, if you go off into the world today, you'll find out a lot of people out there have no understanding of what life is all about. Why am I here? Where am I going? What's the purpose of my life? What's my reason for being alive on planet Earth? See, they're not focused. Well, as believers, beloved, we have got to come up with the right answers. We are here to determine our destiny. We are here to prove to a living God that we want to live with Him throughout eternity. That's why we're here. And we have a period of time called our lives in which to make that decision. And the reason why we are so confused with regard to our purpose for being is because of the fall of mankind. When man fell in the very beginning, he fell from the presence of the living God. He was surrounded by darkness, attached to darkness, if you will, united to darkness. And as a result of that darkness, he has no idea of what life is all about. God did not want to leave man in that dilemma. We need to understand that God loves mankind so much that he would be willing to do anything it would take 
to redeem him and bring him back into a relationship with himself. If there was another way that God could possibly do that apart from sending His Son to die a horrible death on Calvary's cross, He would have done it. You know, very often we listen to people talk out there in the world and they are of the opinion or the idea that as long as you believe in an eternal being, some spirit of some sort, then everything is okay. A universal God, a universal spirit that's out there, it's okay. You're all right. But you know what, beloved? The one thing that man is going to have to answer to God for is what did you do with Jesus Christ, my son? You see, there was no other way to redeem mankind from his awful fall and rebellion. If there was, God in all of his infinite wisdom would have come up with the solution, wouldn't you think? He would have devised some other plan that would have been much easier than sending His Son to become a man and dying upon Calvary's cross to secure our destiny. But there was no other way. If there's anything that we have got to get deep into our hearts and minds, beloved, is that there was no other way. Jesus is the only way to God. It's all because of Jesus that man has life eternal. It's all because of Jesus that our sins have been forgiven. It's all because of Jesus that we can call God our Father once again. It's all because of Jesus we, that we could live forever and ever and ever in the presence of the Almighty God. If it were not for Jesus, everyone would be lost. Jesus is the only one who came to save that which was lost. And we all were lost. Every single one of us. All mankind was lost. Make note of this, beloved. Anyone out there in the world today who does not glorify Jesus Christ is of a wrong spirit. Everyone out there today that you may come into contact with who does not magnify the person of Jesus, who does not know the person of Jesus, who minimizes the work of Jesus Christ in any way is a cult. They do not know the living God. And that's exactly what the devil wants. People to become deluded and and deceived into thinking that their way is okay. But beloved, Jesus, as far as the Father is concerned, is to be exalted and glorified among men. He himself put his stamp of approval upon the person of Jesus Christ, his Son, and exalted him to a position and to a place high above any other position in all of the universe. And only he can lead us back to the Father. He said himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So anyone who does not exalt and glorify the person of Jesus Christ, anyone who does not know the person of Jesus Christ and claims in any way to identify with the Almighty God is deceived. I've said this in my preaching countless times. You can't get there through Muhammad. You can't get there through Buddha. You can't get there through Krishna. You can't get there through moon. You can only get there through the sun. And his name is Jesus. You see, Muhammad did not come to seek and save that that which was lost. You know why? Because he couldn't do it. You see, beloved, man's redemption demanded that someone who was pure in his blood would die for man's sins. And there was not one human being alive on this planet who qualified. Not one person could pay the price of man's redemption. No one 
could possibly satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against man. There's only one person in all the universe that met the qualifications and that was able to do it. And beloved, his name was Jesus. Jesus. When we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the birth of the greatest life that ever existed among men. The greatest person to ever walk upon the face of this earth. As a matter of fact, the Jews were upset with him because, you see, they boasted on the life of Abraham. Abraham was their founder. Abraham was their father. Art thou greater than Abraham, they said to him. He said, a greater than he is among you. He said, yes, I am. And before he was, he said, I am. Remember that statement Jesus made to the Jews? And boy, they wanted to stone him to death right there on the spot. He tried his best to let people know who he was. But they couldn't understand. There in the temple, with all of its glory, with all of its beauty, as they marveled at the sight of it all, he said, a greater than the temple is here. You see, there in the temple, they worshipped God. They glorified God. But when Jesus went into the temple, they didn't recognize that God Himself was walking among men. They didn't understand Him. They couldn't see Him. But remember when Solomon dedicated the temple, he said in his prayer to God, Can we build you a house that you can live in with our hands? See, he understood that there's nothing that man could possibly do as far as building a dwelling place for God that could possibly hold him because of his greatness and because of who he was. And so you see, beloved, when Jesus came there in the temple saying that a greater than the temple is here, he meant every word of it. And they just let it slip right on by. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the person of Jesus when they were walking right there by His side. With all of His miracles, with all of His signs, with all of His wonders, they could not see Him. Beloved, our prayer should be that we might see Him as He really is. For who He is. And better understand all that He did for our redemption. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Every human being... On this planet, beloved, was or is lost. You go back to the time of the flood of Noah and you discover that the heart of man was wicked. It was so wicked that God regretted the fact that He even made man. It got to the place that finally He caused a flood to come upon the face of the earth to wipe out the ungodly race. And then He told Noah and his family once again to replenish the earth with a godly seed. It's just kind of starting all over again. And it was not very long as you read through Genesis that you'll discover that man was one race. And as a result of being one race, they were unified. They would join themselves together and try to achieve things that were against the plan, purpose, and the will of God. So they tried to build themselves a, a tower that would reach heaven. God saw they were all of one language and finally He had to move in a supernatural way to confound their languages so that the people would spread across all the, the world and go from one place to another to another to another because they couldn't communicate with each other any longer. Man on this earth was lost not knowing what he was doing, not knowing where he was going, heading in a wrong direction. And I'll tell you what, very close to an eternity of damnation, hellfire and brimstone, and not even realizing it. And the problem of it, beloved, was this. He had no way of escape. He had no way out. He could not help himself. He could not save himself. So God, of course, looking down upon the circle of the earth, not wanting man to suffer that awful damnation and hellfire and brimstone for the rest of his eternity, saw fit to send his only begotten son to the earth. And beloved, can you understand what that cost the Father God? Can we even begin to understand what that meant? 
that God, the second person, remember, we serve one God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, the three in one, God in the person of the, the second person of the Godhead came to the earth in human form. The one who created all things, the one who spoke the worlds into existence. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and by Him all things were made, and without Him there is not one thing made that was made in all of the universe. This planet was made for man to inhabit. As a matter of fact, it's a place that, that God has provided resources so that man could live and survive upon this earth. Without the man, there is no reason for the universe or this planet. So you think about this planet just being suspended out there in the universe, obeying the Word of God. You think about the infinite mind and wisdom of the Almighty God and how He created all things through the person of His Son and then... You imagine the, the humbling of the person of Jesus Christ to come to this earth, to this planet, leaving that glory and deity behind and just coming to this earth as a man. That's like the artist becoming a part of his painting. Isn't that true? Can you imagine that? Can our minds even begin to fathom that? That is like the, the Creator becoming a part of His creation. But you see, man was made in such likeness and image of God that, that God Himself could leave that state in the person of His Son and be born a human being. And what was His mission? Why did He come? I know why I came to start a new religion. Right? Man wasn't religious enough. Came to start a new religion, right? No. To establish a new code of ethics. Isn't that why he came? Mm -mm. He came like a mighty hunter, seeking and saving those that were lost. And oh, there was a cry of his heart. He said, If I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. Unto me. They couldn't understand that language. They didn't understand its full import. They didn't know its meaning. They didn't know anything about what he had to do. But he knew his mission. He came to show the way. To find every human being that was lost. And show that person the way back into fellowship with Almighty God. You know, beloved, there is a universal emptiness in the heart of every human being, no matter what nation, no matter what race. Do you know that? There is a universal cry in the heart of every individual person. Why? Because they are empty inside. They try to fill it with all kinds of things. Whether it's material goods, whether it's some kind of a substance, whether it's some form of lust, they try to fill that emptiness on the inside with something because something is lacking, something is missing. There's an emptiness and there is a void in their inward parts. They know something deep on the inside is wrong. Some try to fill it with spiritualism, witchcraft, magical arts, all kinds of things. Some try to fulfill that, you know, just in having a, a career. Making a name for themselves. Fame. For, uh, popularity. Fortune. All these different things. Trying to satisfy that emptiness on the inside. And yet, down deep, they know they're not satisfied. They haven't found the solution to their problem. Beloved, what would it do a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Nothing. And you see, Jesus knew that. And so when He came, beloved, He came on a mission to save that which was lost. Man lost the presence of God. Man lost fellowship with God. Man lost his eternity. Boy, I've said this before, and I'd like to say it again. I wish we had like a little screen here that you can just pull down. Just pull this screen down just like that. 
and then say, go ahead, angels of God, run the projector. And just show us a film on the caverns of the damned. Show us the lake of fire and put it up real loud so we can hear all the screams of the people. Beloved, I can understand why God would be motivated to send His Son to come and die an awful, horrible death on Calvary's cross unless hell and damnation was as awful as you can possibly understand it. And really, if you think about it, can we really understand what hell is like and what the eternal damnation is like and, and hellfire is like and, and the second death, the lake of fire? Can, do we have any idea whatsoever? We have no imagination when it comes to it. Whether a worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. But you see, God knows. God knows. And so you see, He decided to send His Son in the person of Jesus Christ, in human form, to become a babe. And the reason why he had to become a babe is because he could not gain legal entrance into the realm in which we live without taking on a human form. And I don't really know how many Christians know this, but you know when Jesus left the glory world, he did so forever to become a man. To become a man forever, that is. Once he became a man, it's called the hypostatic union. The union of deity and humanity coming together in the person of Jesus Christ. He did so forever. And do you know that if he would have failed, Satan would have won? I want to say that again. Had he failed, Satan would have won and overthrown God Almighty. Do you ever think that about that and consider that? Jesus could not fail like the first Adam did. He was called the second Adam. The second Adam could not fail. Had he failed, Satan would have overthrown God. Can you imagine what it would be like then? I've heard people say, this is hell on earth. I said, sir, I beg your pardon, you have no idea what hell is like. If you think that hell is like this, you have no idea. And you better wake up because you will find out someday and you'd long to live on earth again. This is no comparison to hell and eternal damnation. What I'm trying to do is paint us a picture of how awful it is so that we can better understand why God Almighty would become a man. You know, all those out there that say, we've got our God, we serve our gods, we do this and we do that and we can find a way to God. No, they can't. There is no way to God other than Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. And He came to seek and save the lost. He was on a mission. He wanted to proclaim it to all those who would listen. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke more on hell than He did on heaven. Warning mankind to escape hellfire. Telling them that He was the only way and that they should follow Him. He came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm glad He sought me out. Are you glad tonight that He sought you out? Are you glad right here in this place? I want us to remember Jesus this month. I want us to really consider Jesus. He came to seek and save that which was lost and He sought you out. And you're found. You are lost, but now you're found. I was blind, but now I see. Found of Jesus. But you see, in order for him to, to fulfill his mission, he had to become a man. And he died for you and me. And by his being lifted up today, 2,000 years later, he is still drawing men unto Himself and bringing them into the kingdom of God. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. In order to do so, He had to be born a human being. It goes beyond our understanding. The, the miracle of the incarnation, once again, just, can I use these loose terms, blows the human mind. Now let's think, God is so big 
but yet he becomes a baby. Wow. You would think that since he came to seek and save the lost, he would come with all his muscles flexed. He would come. I know he has armor because the Bible talks about the armor of God. He would come clad, you know, in all of his armor, ready to do warfare, ready to fight. You would think that. He would stand against all the opposing forces that are out there and overcome them all. But no, he comes as an innocent babe in a manger. Love personified. Who would possibly imagine or think that little tyke in that manger that people ooed and awed about would possibly save the world? Hard to imagine. But God chooses to use foolish things to confound the wise, doesn't He? It doesn't seem feasible, it doesn't seem possible. But yet it's so. Beloved, I'm glad Jesus came to seek and save the lost because I was lost. Are you glad tonight? Do you take a moment to thank Him for coming to save you? Before we look at another reason, take a moment right now to thank Him for coming to save you. Hallelujah. I'm so thankful. Thank you, All these other things are petty in comparison to my destiny. Yet you love me so much that you didn't want me lost. I thank you, Lord. I glorify your holy name. You're so good. You're so good. Hallelujah. Now I want you to turn with me, if you would please, to 1 John the epistle of John, the epistle of John, the first John. And I want you to look with me at verse, chapter 3 and verse 8. Not only did Jesus come to the world to seek and save that which is lost, He also came to undo, outdo, and overdo all the works of the devil. And you know, I want to ask you a question before we look at that tonight. Did Jesus accomplish His mission Was He successful in fulfilling what He set out to do? Do you believe that He was? He was. Then you know what? If He really was, then according to this verse of Scripture, He's destroyed the works of the devil. Look at that verse. He that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, in other words, this is the reason why the Son of God was manifested, that is in the flesh on earth, that He might destroy the works of the devil. I want you to know something. When Satan had full reign over all mankind, ever since the fall of Adam, he was afraid of no human being. There was not one individual that Satan was afraid of. Did you know that? Spiritual death reigned from Adam right on to Moses unhindered. And Satan wasn't afraid of anything, anyone. He just drove people absolutely crazy. He took them right on to hell with him. He did everything he possibly could to destroy the lives of people. Starting with the fall of Adam, right on through every evil deed that ever took place on this planet. I want you to know that God was taking an account of all that He was doing. And I want you to know He was sorely displeased with what was taking place on this earth. You talk about exercising tremendous patience. You know, God was bound by His own law and by His own Word. Beloved, I believe that God in His righteousness and righteous indignation wanted to just bypass all of His laws, rules, and regulations and get a hold of the devil and cast him into the lake of fire forever. The moment after the fall of man. But He could not legally do that. 
could not do that. He could make the world as we know it today in six days. But he could not destroy the works of the devil. He could not cast Satan apart from mankind because Adam legally turned things over to Satan who became the God of this world and he has a lease. And that lease is yet to run out. Think about that. And so you talk about patience. I mean, God wanted to wipe and just wipe Satan out. All of his cohorts, all of his deeds, all that he has ever done to mankind. But he held his peace. Because, you see, he had to do it legally. He just could not do it by disobeying his, his own word to Adam. And so he had to be just. And so he sends his son in the form of a man. Another part of his mission on earth was to destroy the works of the devil. To undo, outdo, and overdo the works of the devil. This is another reason why Jesus came, beloved. I realize in society today we have a lot of Christians that are always complaining about what the devil does. The devil this, the devil that, the devil this, the devil that, and the devil's always doing something. But you know what? God does not want us to be devil or demon conscious. God does not want us always bragging on what the devil is doing to us. To be frank about it, I believe that Jesus accomplished His purpose and His mission. I believe that Jesus came and destroyed the works of the devil. But you see, beloved, until we have insight into that and a consciousness of it, Satan will laugh in our faces and continue to destroy people's lives. Everyone who has ears to hear needs to hear that, uh, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and He was successful in doing so. As a matter of fact, Jesus Himself paralyzed Satan for us. Jesus made a public example of Satan for us. Jesus, we are told way back in the book of Genesis, was going to come and bruise the head of the serpent. Satan himself. In other words, he was going to strip him of the authority that Adam gave him and take it back so that those who are out of Satan's kingdom and in the kingdom of God then could reign over these demon powers through the authority of his name. I'm going to tell you something right now. Satan was never fearful of any man upon the face of the earth until Jesus appeared on the scene. I'm telling you, he did everything in his power to overthrow Jesus. You go on all the way back to the wilderness when Jesus was tempted and every department of His being. I want you to understand that every temptation of Jesus was legitimate. He is now a man. He has set aside His mighty power and glory. He is a man and He is anointed with the Spirit of God and power. Anointed to go about doing the works of the Father on this earth. And Satan comes along and he is attempting to get Jesus to fall. And so he attacks him in every realm of life. In spirit, in soul, and in body. Attempting to get Jesus to bow his knee the same way he got Adam to bow his knee. Then he would be victorious over God. So Jesus himself as a man, the second Adam came for this reason, to destroy the works of Satan. But in order to do so, he had to first of all withstand Satan in all of his attempts and all of his attacks while he walked upon this earth as a man. No one was ever successful in overcoming all of Satan's attacks, beloved. You can think about the most righteous of men upon the face of this earth and still they fell at one time or another. You think of Samson, you think of David, you think of Abraham who had to deceive the king and all this and it goes down from one to the next and every single one of them showed a side of their lives 
that spelled out to all of us that they themselves needed a Savior. But when it came to the person of Jesus Christ, Satan came along thinking he was going to use his tactics, use his subtlety, use his wisdom, and overthrow the Son of God. And so he says, if thou be the Son of God, do this. And if thou be the Son of God, do that. And if thou be the Son of God, do this. And Jesus withstood him to the face and gave him the Word of God pertaining to every temptation, saying, it is written. And I mean, he demoralized. I mean, he absolutely destroyed every attempt in every attack. Well, you know what? Satan backed off for a season, the Bible says. He regrouped. He got his best minds together and they tried to put a plan together so that they could finally overthrow this man called Jesus Christ. And the Bible says he looked for a more opportune time. But you know what? Every attempt that he made upon the life of Jesus was thwarted. Because Jesus always walked in line with the Word of God. And you know, as, as Satan faced all that, I can only imagine what was going on in his own thinking. You know, he had to be getting to a place that he thought, what else can I possibly do to overcome this man? I mean, he's casting out my, my demon friends. He's healing sickly bodies. I mean, he's, he's getting people that are out of their mind, bringing them once again into a, a right state of mind. He's helping people pay their bills by getting money out of a fish's mouth. When they're hungry, he's multiplying loaves and fish. I mean, what, what, what is going on here? I try to kill him out there at sea, and he, he, just, he just speaks to the sea and stops the winds. You can imagine he's starting to sweat. Well, he's not done sweating, I guarantee you. But can you imagine what's going on? Finally, he figures, I can't get him from without. I'll get him from within. I'll speak to one of his own. They'll stir up the people and they'll kill him. And once he's dead and gone, then we can forget about the whole thing. Like all the other prophets of old. They're gone now. Don't have to fool with them. What a mistake. I want you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. I want you to know that Satan does not take a Christmas vacation. Did you know that tonight? He's not going to back off because it's Christmas time and we want to be of good cheer and, and, and celebrate and all this. He is still going to devise his plans and tactics aimed at destroying our lives. He's just not going to give up because that's his job. And he goes to work every single day of his life. In the book of Hebrews in chapter 2, we are told in verse 14... For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him. See, he came to destroy the works of Satan. But Satan did not know that it would be through his own death that he would be destroyed. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. Who had the power of death? Who was reigning in the realm of spiritual death. Satan was. Satan was holding every human being captive by the power of, of death, spiritual death. And also mankind is fearful of physical death, not knowing what takes place when a person dies and the, you know, the after effect. And so everybody is afraid. Everybody is fearful. Jesus came to this earth unafraid of death, unafraid of dying, unafraid of laying down his life, unafraid of facing any opposition, and Satan didn't know what to do with him, and so finally he devised a plan to kill him. The Bible says that Satan put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. The only thing that he could do since he was the master of death was to kill him and then finally... Hold him in bondage. Little did he know. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, had he known, he would have not crucified the Lord of glory. 
Did you ever read that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2? Had Satan known he would not have crucified the Lord of glory? Matter of fact, finger there. Go on back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 because I want you to see this. There is a wisdom in this that we have a God, but there is also a wisdom of the powers of darkness. And in verse 7, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Had Satan known, now go on back, had Satan known that through his death, Jesus would have destroyed Satan himself, he would have never devised a plan to crucify the Lord of glory. You know, in reality, beloved, the only way that Satan would have been successful is if Jesus just lived on earth forever. He would have a degree of success. Because, you see, mankind could not be set free as long as Jesus was alive. Did you know that? That's right. The only way that man could be set free is if he died, shed his blood, and then offered it up for mankind. And so until he did that, there was no possible way. But, see, Satan didn't know all this. Satan's not as smart as he, think he is, thinks he is. Did you know that? And so he devised a plan to kill the Lord Jesus Christ and in so doing, he really called his own number. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now notice this mission. To destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And so we see another part of his mission and another reason for his coming to destroy what Satan wrought in the heart and the lives of mankind and then to deliver the people from the bondage of that fear and from the tyranny of spiritual death. Now, beloved, this is one of my most favorite things to preach. Oh, I'll tell you what, it's just so graphic in me. I know some people just get upset when you start talking like this. But, beloved, this is the way I see it. And any way I believe that glorifies Jesus is the right way to look at things. I don't believe this minimizes the blood of Christ. I believe it maximizes the blood of Christ. I don't believe it minimizes anything that Jesus did. I believe it maximizes everything that Jesus did. I want you to see this graphically. Jesus walked upon the face of the earth and He did things that no man ever did before. He defined the laws of nature. He multiplied loaves and fishes. means He overrode the law of, 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 of supply and demand. He raised the dead showing that He was indeed the resurrection and the life. And it's time that people start believing on Him more so than death itself. And so when the master of death the, who had the power of death, came along to snuff out the life of Jesus Christ, not having the, the wisdom of God, not knowing the plan of God, the eternal purpose of God. He devises this plan to slay Jesus Christ, and in so doing, like I said, he called his own number and put a noose around his own neck. Because on that cross, Jesus was going to finalize the destruction of the works of the devil. On that cross, he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. It was not Mohammed on that cross. It was not Moon on that cross. It was not Buddha on that cross. It was not anybody who calls himself anyone in any way of any prophet or any kind of mediator between God and man. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, on that cross who died for the propitiation of our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I want you to know on that cross our lives were hanging in the balance. If it were not for the death of Christ, the Son of God, everybody would live in eternity in what is called the lake of fire, in destruction, in, in torment for, for the rest of eternity. But on that cross, Satan himself thought that he was going to finalize this snuffing out of the life of Jesus Christ. He thought he would hold him in the bondage of death and there would be no escape for him. 
on that cross, God looked over the banisters of heaven. He began to see all the sin of the world pouring forth into the person of Jesus Christ. He began to see His Son, Jesus Christ, being made sin who knew no sin so that we would become the righteousness of God in Him. The Bible says He looked over the banisters of heaven and finally He saw the travail of His soul. He first turned away because He couldn't stand the sight of the sin. And Jesus became that sin. We don't understand. We don't comprehend what it meant for Jesus to become sin. Our finite limitations do not allow us to see or to picture graphically what took place when He became sin. But from the outside, they could see His visage was so marred more than any man. He did not appear to be a human being. And that's what He looked like from the natural, from the outside. Beloved, please stop me. If there was another way that God could do this, please let it, let it be known. But there was no other way. There was no other way that it could be done. He had to die this horrible death. He had to become this sin. The Son of God, the Son of Man on that cross in the form of human flesh with indeed a spirit, soul, and body took upon Himself the sin of the world and the rebellion of Adam himself. And all, there it was, coming into him. In so doing, he would destroy the works of the devil forever. But see, Satan didn't know it. But I want you to see it graphically now. The Bible says he laid on him the iniquity of us all. God did that, not the Roman lictor. God did that. He laid on him the iniquity of us all. He saw the travail of his soul. Where did he see the travail of his soul? The Bible says his soul was not left in Hades. Neither did his body see corruption. You know, the wages of sin is death. And beloved, I still hold true to the convictions that Jesus, when he died and gave up the ghost, who became sin for us, he took that sin where it belonged, into those lower parts of the earth. And there he paid the price of Adam's high treason. There he paid the price. There was no other way to destroy the works of Satan. Somebody had to do it. Somebody had to satisfy the claims of justice that were being held against man. God himself had to be just to Satan. And the only way that he could possibly do it would be through proxy. Substitution. Oh, beloved, Jesus went there for you and Jesus went there for me. The Bible says he was surrounded by the host of darkness. Suffering in the lowest pit, the Bible says, in Psalm 88. And God looked over the banisters of heaven and saw the travail of his soul. He saw the travail of his soul. Can you even imagine all this? And you know what he said then? He said, it is enough. Beloved, I believe that there was a voice out of heaven that was so loud that it absolutely echoed throughout the regions of the damned. I want you to see that Satan was back. I want you to know that he did not know what was going to happen. He was afraid. He's never been afraid before, but he was afraid of what was about to take place. Because, you see, beloved, Jesus paid our price. Jesus paid the price of our sin. And then, when God looked down the banish, over the banish of heaven and saw, saw the, the, the price that was paid because of the travail of his soul, he said, It is enough, and cried out of heaven, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. And when he said those words, this day have I begotten thee, he brought him forth from among the dead. His soul was not forsaken in hell. His body did not see corruption because, beloved, I, I'm telling you, the Spirit of the living God quickened the Lord Jesus Christ and when he did, Jesus threw off from himself the powers of darkness. He hurled from himself all the demon forces. 
that tried to hold him down. There's no power on earth that could possibly hold him down. There was no power in the region of darkness that could possibly hold him down. For he was quickened by the Spirit of the living God. He was raised up out of that death and he threw off from himself all those demon powers. And what he did, I'm telling you, he didn't go to some associate or some colleague of Satan. He went directly to Satan himself, got a hold of him, and said, Look, boys, this is your leader. I have overcome him. I am stripping him of all the authority and all the power that Adam gave him. He is no longer in control. I am in control. He made a display of him publicly in front of all of his cohorts. And then he ascended, the Bible says, on high. He, come, he came back to the earth. His body that was in that grave was now glorified. He took on a glorified body. It did not see decay. It was glorified. He said to the gardener and to the others that came marrying those, Don't touch me. I've got to go to the Father. I don't know how he did it, but I know that it's all things are possible with God. He took every drop of his blood that fell to the dust of this earth. He caught it up in a basin and took it up into the heavenly holies of holies. He went to that place as a man that man was kicked out of and had no right to enter ever until this day, until 4,000 years later, he had no right to gain entrance into that holy place. But he took that blood, he walked right on through the cherubim that were sitting right there and that were guarding that holy place and said, step aside, boys. I've got the blood. And he walked in between them, walked right up to the Ark of the Covenant. He looked over at the Father and said, Here is my blood. I'm offering it as a, as a sacrifice for all of mankind. He dipped his fingers in that blood. He sprinkled the mercy seat, all the heavenly utensils of worship, and took all of that blood and said, Is it enough? And the Father said, It is indeed. Man is justified before heaven, for thou art the way, the truth, and the life. Anyone can come in now by you. The Bible says once and for all, He took His blood and secured an eternal redemption for us. Glory to God. We're celebrating Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. And when he came back, oh, you know what? I'd have to believe he said this among the 500. Remember, remember Paul said he was seen of 500 and then also of, my, of me? Can you imagine this? I can just see the scene. Can you see this scene? 500 now all gathered together. And Jesus appears and says, I can hear these words. I am he that liveth and was dead. But behold... I'm alive forevermore. I've got the keys. I've got the authority. I accomplished the mission. I destroyed the works of the devil. You don't have to be bound anymore. Oh, open our eyes that we might behold the glory of the Son of God. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He brought him to naught. He holds the keys. And every single one of us who is born of God has authority in Jesus' name over the devil. Now, beloved, let me say this to you. Satan is afraid of Jesus. Did you hear that? He's never afraid of anybody. Now, he's afraid of Jesus. When Jesus walked the earth, he was afraid of him. When Jesus rose from the dead, he was terrified. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. 
I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.